0: We are today starting a new series, uh, and we're calling it, it's got the catchy title, uh, Side by Side, Growing Together as Disciples, Family Members, and Missionaries. It's a bit of a mouthful, so we're just going to call it Side by Side. Um, And we've taken the title of this series, Side by Side, from this book. It's by a guy called Edward T. Welsh. It's called Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. We're not basing the sermon series on this book, but we just nicked the title. Um, but I just actually want to recommend it at the beginning. This is the whole thing of, we know it's supposed to be a community of people who care for one another and love one another, but often we don't really know how, um, like practically, this is a very practical book to help literally walking with one another in wisdom and in love and how you do it. And I've found it hugely helpful. Uh, I just want to commend it to you, recommend it to you side by side by Ed T Welsh, um, we just like the title, so we nicked it, but it is a good book, and uh, some of the things in it will be woven into this series for the next few weeks. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter 2 in just a moment, uh, but over these next few weeks, we're going to basically be looking at different aspects of how you do this uh, thing called church together, how you do this thing called the Christian life together, what's it, what it's all about, and how we can grow together. So if you're not a Christian here today, you are so very, very welcome. We absolutely love that you are here. Uh, And it's our heart that over these next few weeks, you're really going to get close enough to the action, so to speak, to kind of see what being a Christian is all about. And hopefully, you're going to learn a bunch of stuff over these uh, next few weeks. One thing you just need to know is that the Bible is ruthlessly honest. There's no kind of like uh, covering up stuff. There's no pretending everything is, is sorted and fine. And there's no washing over uncomfortable things. And, and we don't, we don't wanna do that either. We don't wanna be a church which kinda of just pretends certain things are okay and other things are not and just ignores certain stuff. We are not a perfect church, far from it. Lots of you, if you've been around for a while, have heard me say that, and um, most of you, if you've been around for a while, have realized that. And some of you have heard me say it, and you've not yet realized it. Well, stick around long enough. <laughs> it will happen to you. You will say, oh, what? Why is that? And we're, well, because we're imperfect human beings, and we're flawed, and we make mistakes, and, uh, and that's just the good ones in the room. Right? So we're kind of not perfect, far from it, but we are learning and we're growing. And our desire is that we would be uh, more and more and more like the church that we see in the pages of Scripture. That's, that's where we're heading. That's where we're growing. And, and one day we will arrive on eternity's shore and we will be perfect. But until then, we're on this process of, of growing. And if you are a Christian here today, then these next few weeks are hopefully going to be very crucial for shaping the way that we think and for the way, therefore, that we live and act there's going to be some familiar stuff over these next few weeks. There's probably going to be some new stuff as well. And there's going to be, uh, I, just, I just sense in my, in my spirit, my soul, that for us, if you've been a Christian a while, there's a moment, uh, a song that came earlier, uh, of kind of opening the windows of our heart. There's going kind to of come cobwebs somewhere sometimes and can get a little bit over-familiar and a bit dusty, just to be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Over, these next, over today and over these next few weeks bringing some correction sometimes perhaps maybe a bit of realignment maybe a, and hopefully some encouragement to us as we go so really I'm setting up the series today and kind of the main sort of thrust I guess of what I want to say today and what is going to be repeated in different ways over these next few weeks is that when it comes to this thing called church every single one of us is needed and every single one of us is needy Which basically, another way of putting it is that none of us are perfect, none of us have got it all together, none of us are all sorted out, and at the same time, every single one of us has a part to play. And there can be a mistaken notion sometimes, once I'm sorted, once I've got everything sorted, then I'll help play my part. Well, good luck with that, because you're never ever going to play a part. (laughs) We're all needy, we're all needed, we're all on a journey, we're all growing And we've all got a part to play. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're going to kick off and start from verse 4. Peter writes this letter to the diaspora, the the, the Christians who have been spread. And he says this in, in chapter 2 verse 4. As you come to him, to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jump over to verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Look verse five for a moment. It's a spiritual house. We are, that's another way of saying, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what that phrase means when it comes in scripture, there's one reference in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says you individually, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But every other time that phrase comes, it's a collective, it's a corporate uh, kind of reference. It's talking collectively. And here's the thing, we live in a highly, individualistic culture which means most of our ways of viewing the world most of our stories are all framed around me i'm the center of the world i'm the center of my world we we view everything through the lens of how does this affect me so every kind of announcement every kind of everything is like well what's that mean for me and from a young age, we have been uh, trained kind of subconsciously in many ways to think and primarily of the world from a, an individualistic perspective, it's, especially if you grow up in the West. It's just so normal and so seemingly natural to think primarily, first and foremost, of ourselves. Individualism runs very, very deep. Like we, even the way we view our time of worship this morning, did, did did, what did I get out of it? Did I enjoy I felt comfortable. I felt uncomfortable. I, we view it through the lens of me. Like We would view everything through the lens of me. Am I, am I enjoying this? Am I not? Am I, what does this feed? How is how's this working for me? How does um, it affect me? Everything. It's just very, very deep. And it affects everything. Even our understanding of the gospel. You see, there's a summary of, a, of the gospel message which goes something like this. God made you to know him, but your sin cuts you off from God. And so God sent his son to die on the cross in place of you to reconcile you back to God. Now you can know God and you can look forward to being with him in heaven forever. Now there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that gospel message. It's, it's, it's all true, but it's not the whole truth. See, at the heart of the, the biblical story, at the heart of the Bible is a story not of an individual but a story of a community, a story of a people. The Bible is the story of God saving not individuals but a people, a community, a new humanity. Of course that community is made up of individuals. You have to individually respond to Jesus yourself. You don't get in on somebody else's ticket as it were but it's not primarily about me or you. It's primarily about us, the people of God. And so the Christian community, the church, it's not an optional add-on. It's not, well, if you, if you can find one that's good enough, you'll go to that. No, 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 it's integral right at the very heart of the gospel. You're added to a people. That is the picture here in 1 Peter. The Holy Spirit, the, the Shekinah glory of God inhabits the church. We, look, it says here, we are living stones, So having come to Jesus, there was a moment where if if you're not a Christian, you need to know this. You need to come to Jesus. But if you are a Christian, there is a moment where you came to Jesus, who verse 4 tells us is the living stone. And now having come to Jesus, we now, look at verse 5, we become living stones. And God's presence comes and inhabits us corporately. We are stones being built together. Notice the present tense there in verse five. They are being built up, are being built up. We're being built. Present tense, it's not we have been. We are being. Just think of a picture of a wall for a moment. Bricks don't do much good by themselves. They're designed to be put with other bricks into a wall. If you think about a picture of a wall for a moment, every single brick has stones around it, stones above it, which are heavily dependent upon those stones. They're heavily dependent upon those bricks. This is the picture right here. We're a body of believers in which we're so built into one another's lives that if we stopped coming, something would collapse. That's the picture. You take a brick out of a wall and things start to collapse. That's the the picture. Well, I'm just a brick, I don't, I'm not going to be missed if I disappear for a few weeks. No, no, the picture is if you take that brick out, things are going to collapse. You, you stop. Something's going to collapse around you. Bricks in a wall are not independent. They're interdependent. And they need one another. They're side by side. We're living stones. So what do these living stones look like? Well, when you come to Jesus, when you become a Christian, you're not now just adding a new bunch of stuff to your old life, to your existing life. It's not like, I've I've got all this, this is my life, now I've become a Christian, I just carry on with all of that and I've just added some new stuff. Some new more meetings to go to, something to do on a Sunday morning, something to do on a Wednesday night, something extra to do with my money, something extra to do with my time. No, 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 it's not just me plus a bunch of new things. At the core of Christianity... The heart of our faith, at the heart of the biblical message, is this idea of new life, of being born again. We looked at it last week on Easter Sunday. 1 Peter one three, Peter says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been totally changed. It's not just added a few new things. Totally changed. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Completely changed. Not just added a few new things. Whole very core of who I am has changed. I've died and become a new, been born again. An entirely new creation. And these verses here in 1 Peter give us an idea of what we've been changed into. Three things. You already know where we're going because we put it in the title slide for you. First one... Disciples. We have been changed and transformed into disciples. Look at verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Disciple just means learner or pupil, one who follows somebody else. So you can be a disciple of anybody or anything or any world idea disciples of Jesus are the ones who are learning to follow Jesus in every area. Jesus said to his first disciples, hey, come follow me. He didn't say, hey, start acting like this, start doing this, start doing that. He said, come be with me, come follow me. And he says exactly the same to you today. If you're a Christian, Jesus has spoken into, the, into your heart and said, come, be with me. Come, follow me. So, this is what we are now disciples, learning to follow Jesus wherever he goes. He says, Go that way. We go, okay. We go this. We go, okay. Do it, okay. Following Jesus wherever. And we're learning to obey the things he says. In John 8, verse 31, he says, If you abide, if you abide in my word, not just if you read it or have it read to you once a week on a Sunday, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So he leads, we follow. He says, we do. He acts, we respond. He calls us and we say, okay, I'm coming. We're disciples, learning from him. Second thing we are is family members. When we repent, when we believe the gospel, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. We become part of the family. We become part of the people of God. Look at verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Verse 9 says, we're now part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We've not been added to an organization. We haven't joined a club. We haven't just kind of signed up to a membership or something, which you can renew your subscription if you want to, or you have a trial period for a little bit. No, no. We've been invited now, added into a family. Ephesians 2, 19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you now are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the moment you become a Christian, you're now a disciple. You're learning to follow Jesus. You're now also a family member. You've been added into the family. And we're also, thirdly, a missionary. We're in this world, but the Bible says we're not of this world. We are God's sent people. Who live to make disciples, help other people, and bring more family members into the family. That's what we now live for. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. This is a description of who we are. Those who are temporarily staying here. We inhabit this world for 70, 80, 90, hopefully not 100 plus years. We're temporarily here. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those who, who don't really belong here. It seems It's a little alien world. Yes, we can enjoy the things of this world. Absolutely, and we should, and we must. And if there's nothing of this world you enjoy, then you get some new hobbies. But we don't ultimately belong here. Sojourners and exiles urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So this has got this description of who we are, and then we're told why. And we're told how to live. For what reason? Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, notice it says when, not if, you act in accordance with following Jesus, you're a disciple and a family member, you live, people will speak against you. They, you it, like, become a Christian and following Jesus, and doing doing for right. Why is all this stuff happening to me? When they speak against you. As evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's that sense there of, hey, you, this is who you are. This is how you're to live so that others might see the good news of Jesus. In, in Acts uh, chapter one, verse eight, just before Jesus leaves them, he says, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come, will fill your power. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, where you live, Judea, the bits outside, Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth. Where you live, in the city, in the town we live, with those annoying neighbours down the road, ultimately to the ends of the earth. We're witnesses to the power of the gospel. We're missionaries pointing people to God through our words, what we say, and through our deeds, how we act. We're living differently. If you're a Christian here today, this is now who you are. It's not what you're aspiring to be. It is now who you are. We are disciples who are learning to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives. We're committed to growing in him. We are now family members. We're committed to caring for one another as you would do for those in your actual family and for helping one another. And we're missionaries committing to loving people, serving people and trying to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. And so now everything we do or everything we don't do flows out of this. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross in place of us and rising to new life, the gospel radically changes us. Yes, it changes what we do, and it changes how we act and how we behave, but much more foundationally than that, much more fundamentally than that, it changes who we are. It changes our very identity. And we've become so accustomed to thinking in terms of defining ourselves by what we do that we so often miss this. We so often kind of determine, I mean, you know, is hey, what's your name? James, what do you do? Straight away is the first question. What do you do? We define ourselves by what we do or don't do. And so what we end up doing is putting our lives into neat boxes. Here's my family life. Here's my work life. Here's, depending on the state of your family and your work life, your, your, your personal leisure life is either that big or probably more likely about that big. And then there's church stuff. And so you look, you this week, and you're thinking, I've got work to do. I've got family responsibilities. I've got stuff. And now you're asking me a couple of prayer meeting as well. That's another box. How am I going to fit all of this in? And so then you hear Yemi say, hey, if you want to grow in this Christian life, you need to be part of a community. And you're thinking, that's just another thing to fit in. How am I going to do that as well? We we so think of our lives just in these neat, different compartments, compartments these different boxes. And it just leads to confusion. It leads to exhaustion. And it's just not really, to be honest with you, a helpful way of thinking that's how the Christian life works. Because it's not the christian life is not do this and then this bit and then this bit and it because then the problem is if you think of it like that someone preaches on prayer and you just add another box someone preaches on mission and you just add another box someone preaches on something else and you just add another box and then it's like hey there's a freedom free for purpose thing you should go and that's just another box and you're like oh my goodness i've got too many boxes but that's not really how the christian life works when you understand the gospel you understand that fundamentally Being a disciple, being a family member, being a missionary is not something primarily I do. It's who I am. Think about family life for a moment. Like I think about my family life. I've got three kids. All right. There are sometimes, and a wife, and there are (laughs) sometimes, just put that in there. forgot. She is still part of the family. Hopefully I still am. Um, There are moments where the five of us are all together and we do stuff together, we had a breakfast together this morning. Now I'm gonna, at the end of this meeting, go off and I'm speaking at a different venue and then I'll head off there. And I'm not with them. And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to go, well, as soon as we're not all together, I'm not part of the family anymore. I'm only part of the family when we're all together, the five of us, that's my family box. I'm every bit as part of the family when I'm with them as when I'm not with them. Now, if I'm going to actually be an effective family member, there needs to be moments where I am with them, right? If I was never with them, I can call myself part of the family, but not really in a meaningful way. Now, that works out pretty well with in-laws sometimes, but that's not the way it actually works if, we want fam- if we're going to actually be family. What part am I part of the family and when am I not? Well, a ridiculous question. I'm always part of the family. It's just moments where I spend time with them. But my very identity is a family member. Now, I do out of my identity. If I said I'm a father and then never spent any time with my children, then I might technically be a father, but not in any really meaningful way. Exactly the same if I say I'm part of the family, part of the community, and my name's on a list somewhere, but I never actually spend any time with them. Well, technically you might be right, but not not in a particularly meaningful way. Does it mean I spend every minute of every day with them? No, of course. Of course not, but I'm every minute of every day, I'm part of that community, I'm part of that family. And this is the growing together part, yeah. learning how that works. Because none of us are experts at this, we're just very ordinary folk, very messed up ordinary folk, most of us which is actually very good news, because as we read scripture, we see that God loves to use ordinary people like you and me. And actually, God loves to use really messed up people like you and me as well. Look at the list of people who make it into Jesus's family tree. We did a series on this a couple of years ago from Matthew 1, you know, the long list of names. We called it the scandal of grace. and Scandal of grace because some of the people who are in there were complete scandals. Some of the people in the family tree of Jesus were absolute shockers and rotters liars and thieves and fornicators and adulterers and prostitutes and those who practice incest and murderers and all sorts of people from all sorts of really weird messed up backgrounds make it into Jesus's family tree you think you're messed up welcome to the family you think you're all sorted well we've got room for people who are dealing with issues of pride too you're so welcome We're living stones. We're living stones. So how do we grow together? Well, firstly, we need to recognize who is the one who brings the growth. Look at verse four. It says, come to him. Verse 20, 21, it says, follow in his steps. We come to Jesus. Verse six, the, the cornerstone, chosen and precious. And as we come to him, we first of all need to recognize, perhaps for the first time, many of us, we need to remind ourselves again and again and again and again. We can come back again and again to the fact that what we have been doing is building on a different cornerstone. Cornerstone's the first bit in the building, right? The foundation point, everything else is built off. You take that out, it all collapses. And... Before we come to Jesus, we're building on a very different cornerstone. But even after we come to Jesus, sometimes we can go back to trying to build on that cornerstone. It's a cornerstone of self-reliance or of self-ability or of trust in money or fame or, or whatever it might be. And we repent in that moment. And we allow the Holy Spirit to dig out the old cornerstone. And we trust the Holy Spirit to, to put a new cornerstone, Jesus, in for us and begin to build our life on it. And we, and we trust Jesus as the master builder that as we do that, as we begin to dig out the old junk and, and build on him, that even though as we're building on him, trusting him as the master builder, even though things might feel in that moment like they are collapsing around us, like I put my trust in Jesus and everything seems to be falling down for a moment, We trust that he won't let us go. We heard it earlier in that song. He won't let us go. And even though everything else might feel like it's being stripped away, it's all with the purpose of being rebuilt on the cornerstone, our strong and sure foundation. It's being rebuilt. We're being rebuilt into a house of glory, into a house of stunning perfection. If you've ever watched that show, Master uh, Grand, um, Grand Designs, right, you know where they, take, they build those incredible fancy houses, it never looks incredible until the very end, it always looks like an absolute mess, I just can't see it, what is that, and everything's going wrong, and it's leaking here, and it's leaking there, and, and they're running out of money, and it all just seems like an absolute shambles, but you know they're not going to show that on TV until it goes so glorious, right, so you just keep there watching going, okay, it's gonna, I can't see how it's going to come together, but it suddenly does, and it, at the end, it's stunning and beautiful, That's the Christian life. You stop building on your own cornerstone, you start building on him and it feels like everything's leaking and falling down and not really working and you think, what is going on? But I'm trusting that he who began a good work will bring it to completion and one day it's gonna be stunning and glorious and beautiful and we are in the process of being transformed into that image and so we come to him, we follow him, we learn from him, we begin to learn to apply what he says into our lives. And this is why we need other people. Because left to my own devices, I'm going to read this, what he says, and think, no, it agrees with everything I already think. And I've got blind spots in my life. And I haven't got enough wisdom in my life in certain areas. And I'm not really sure how that works and how to do that. And I I don't really know how to pray. It says, pray in the spirit. What's that mean? So I've got my friend, Dio, and I say, hey, you know I pray more than me. Help me pray in the spirit. And I've got others. It talks about loving your wife. And I'm like... I'm not really. I need to hang out with others who are further on and teach me how to do that properly. And it says, "Fathers, don't exasperate your kids." And I'm like, I can't do anything but but that. It seems I need others who are further on. And then I'm reading some of this word. I'm thinking, I don't really get this. And there is others who are further on than me who help me and encourage me. And then I find that as I'm growing in this hey, I've now got a little bit of wisdom in all of this and I can actually help that person and I can help that person and I'm building in community and they're asking this. I'm saying, well, listen, this is something that I've grown in, something I've worked on, something that I just feel like, God, let me help you. We grow together with other living stones side by side. We need one another. We simply cannot do this by ourselves. We're all needy. We're all needed. And a healthy church is dependent on us being both. It's dependent on us being both. Well, I'm just so needy, I can't actually help anybody. No, you absolutely can help somebody. In your need, in your weakness, in your vulnerability, you're a perfect candidate to help others. Well, I'm just, I've am just got no need, so I can help everybody. No, you can't. We don't want you. <laughs> you're not helpful at all. There's an, why is that we don't like admitting weakness and vulnerability? Because we don't. Let's be honest, we absolutely don't. It's because we like to build on a cornerstone of self-reliance. built on a different cornerstone, a foundation of Jesus, I don't have to pretend I've got it all together because my life is not defined by, by my ability to have it all together. It's defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so that means I have nothing to hide and nothing to hide behind anymore because my whole identity, my whole security, my whole everything is built on Jesus who does not fail, who will not fail, And who started this work in me is the one who's going to bring it to completion. We're all needy. We're all needed. Disciple, can you do it by yourself in isolation? No, you can't. Family member, how's that family of one going? It's not a family in that sense. We're part, you need others around you. Missionary, you can't do it by yourself. Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. Because we live, most of us have grown up in a Western kind of individualistic context. We think fishing, one guy with his rod no, it's not. Fishing in an ancient Near East perspective is an entire village with massive nets. Everyone plays a part. Everyone's involved. Can't do any of it by yourself. Every one of us has a part to play. And do you know what? We all have a responsibility to help build a healthy church. Jesus commands all of us to play our part in making disciples. We're all involved. Jude tells us in Jude verses 20 and 21, each one of us, he tells us to build yourselves up in the faith. Each one, everybody's involved. Peter, later in 1 Peter 4.10, tells us to use our gifts to serve others. We're all involved. Paul says, speak the truth in love to help bring everybody to maturity. We're all involved. We could go on and on. Every single one of us involved, we're meant to live this way. We're all needy, we're all needed, and we all have a part to play. And you know what? Just as we end here, it's a unique part. Scripture describes the church as a body. Body has different functions, different roles, And the gospel frees us. It frees us from a load of stuff. It frees us from guilt. It frees us from shame. It frees us from condemnation. But it also frees us to a whole load of stuff as well. And it frees us to be who God made us to be. It frees us, it frees you to be who God made you to be with the gifts he's given you. Not to copy someone else. Some of us live our Christian life like karaoke singers you know that thing of karaoke that's a bit odd the thing of karaoke you're singing along to somebody else's song performing like somebody else the better you are at karaoke is because you actually sound more and more like the person who originally sang the song you start singing your own song in your own version of it Everyone's like whoa 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 no 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 no. go back to singing I mean S Club 7 would be my preference reach for the stars but there you go Go back to singing Reach, man. Come on, don't sing, don't sing your own song. That's not so good. Sing that. Many of us live our Christian lives like karaoke singers, trying to sing somebody else's song, trying to sing somebody else's words, trying to act like somebody else. I wish I had those gifts. I, I, I like what they're, I, I like that. I, that's what I want to be. And we think, well, my gifts are not so much. My song's not so much. And when we start trying to sing our own song, people are like, no, 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 go back to that one. You sound better like that, except you don't. Because God's given you some gifts. And the gospel frees you to be who you are. And use the gifts that you have. Now they might not be the gifts you had chosen. They might not even be the gifts you particularly wanted. But God gave you those gifts for a reason. To use them for his glory and for the good of the body of Christ. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop looking for affirmation from other people. Stop trying to be like other people. Be who you are. There's a kid called Michael who had ADHD, he had massive hands and massive feet, and used to get bullied royally for it. Like, massive hands, massive feet as a kid, and he just got bullied. And didn't really see how he fit in any way, shape, or form anywhere, and everyone's like, look at you, you can't do anything, until he got in a swimming pool. And it turns out having big feet and big hands are quite helpful in a swimming pool. And it turned out that he's actually pretty decent at swimming. And as soon as he found his lane to run in or swim in, as the case may be, he came alive. And it turned out he was pretty good at it. His surname was Phelps. might have heard of him, Michael Phelps. Probably one of the greatest Olympians ever, won, I don't know, about 20 gold medals, doing what he was supposed to be doing. If he oh, said, I know, but I'm going to be a hurdler because all my friends want to be a hurdler. Having great big feet doesn't help with those hurdles, but it helps in the swimming pool. Some of us are like, yeah, but I wanna be like that and I haven't got that. Run in your lane. Do the stuff that you have been called to because it's not what I have been called to and it's probably not what the person next to you has either or the person behind. There's unique gifts that you have, unique ways. God has created you, called you and gifted. Be who he has made you to be. You're a disciple, you're a family member, you're a missionary, you're loved by God, you're precious in his eyes. By his wounds, you've been healed You were once a stray sheep, but now you've been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And guess what? He's never gonna let you go. Look at 1 Peter 2 verse six. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. Can we stand? Over these next few weeks, we're gonna look at a bunch of different stuff. We've got to work this out, how we grow together as disciples, as family members, as missionaries. Just whatever you need to do before the Lord right now. Close your eyes, whatever. Just help you concentrate. Lift your hands. Whatever you want. It doesn't matter. He calls you by name because he knows you. And he loves you. And he's for you. And you're a work in progress. You're a work in progress. None of us are all sorted. None of us are perfect. We're all needy, but we're also all needed. Right now, just before the Lord, I just made this commitment before you, God. I'm gonna run in my lane. I'm gonna use the gifts that you have given me for your glory and for the good of the body of Christ. I'm gonna step in to be a disciple, to be a family member, and to be a missionary in community with others, knowing that I can't do this on my own. Forgive me, Lord, where I've made a cornerstone of anything else. I want to build my life on you, the sure and certain foundation. Thank you that you are doing a good work in me. You are changing me. You have changed me. You are changing me. You will change me yet. Lord, where anything else has got in, Right now, I choose to believe the truth. I'm a son, a daughter, forgiven and free with a part to play for your glory and my good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.